Burning Books with Eric Beck-Rubin. Hello, and welcome to the Burning Books podcast, where we discuss, celebrate, and explore great books, very good books, books in which there is something to appreciate or admire, as well as books that are the opposite of all those things. Today, we're into the third episode of a new season of Burning Books, this one entitled Declaration Centenary. And we're looking at books about Israel by writers from within and without. And this includes Syed Kashua, Asaf Gavron, Dror Burstein, Zachary Lazar, S. Yazar, Yoel Hoffman, and Omri Bum. Some are written in Hebrew, others in English. Some are contemporary, others classics. Today we're looking at a book from left field, although it's more center field in terms of the author's own output. Orly Castell-Bloom is known for her surreal, almost speculative fiction. The novel we'll talk about today, Human Parts, is considered her departure into realism. Human Parts was published and translated by Dahlia Bilu in 2003. When I hear the word realism, I think of a section in the introduction to Michael Rothberg's excellent book, Traumatic Realism. In the first pages of that book, which is a study in how we represent traumatic events in art, Rothberg shows a frame from the cartoon Maus, M-A-U-S. In the frame, there are three mice, an almost Disney-fied mouse on a poster in the background, a mouse with whom we are familiar as the main character of the story, and in his hand, a small mouse that, to our mind, strikes us as realistic. If we were to put the so-called realistic mouse next to a picture of an actual mouse, however, or beside a living and breathing mouse, the term realistic would suffer. What does it mean, then? To put it in some perspective, even Gabriel Garcia Marquez said he was trying to capture reality in a literal sense when he was writing 100 Years of Solitude. Now, Garcia Marquez may have been trying to make a point about his magical upbringing, but Rothberg clearly demonstrates that the term realism can't bear much scrutiny. In Orly Castell-Bloom's novel, which takes place sometime in the near future, possibly just a week from now, the hallmarks of realism as a style are everywhere. Actual place names, road names, directions, political offices, news, wars... But there is a sheen of the unreal that hovers above it, like weather. Or actually not like weather, but weather. Atmospheric meteorological events. It was an exceptional winter. Not the piecemeal kind of winter the inhabitants of Israel were used to. The kind that seems to collect leftovers from winters in other parts of the world and donate them to the Middle East. The country was drenched with precipitation of every kind. Groundwater gushed up from the wells and burst out and in many areas there was flooding that led to loss of life and property. Navy ships anchored in places that no one could have imagined possible, proving that the unimaginable was a fact on the ground. Raindrops the size of olives came down in quantities, and in the intervals between these downpours, there was an almost constant drizzle that left the ground permanently wet. Hailstones, sculpted in layers of cloud, burst out in various shapes and sizes and pelted down to earth, injuring leaves, birds, shutters, cars, and people. Sometimes these hailstones were gigantic, with a circumference of over 50 centimeters, and sometimes they were flat and sharp, 
with fascinating geometrical forms. Is this possible? I guess. What's of particular interest are the strange knock-on effects. During that strange winter, the weather forecasters frequently took part in trivia quizzes, where the first to give the correct answer won the prize. One forecaster won half a million shekels for the correct answer to the question, what is the life expectancy of an Asiatic lion? The next day, he was wounded in a shooting attack on his way to Ikea to buy new furniture for his home in Ariel. One week later, he died of his wounds. His funeral was shown on both the big national TV channels. In fact, knock-on effects are what comprise the greater part of this novel, whose plotline ricochets unpredictably against various characters and settings and events. Plotted alongside the weather are the terrorist attacks of the Intifada. Suicide bombings, knifings, murders. In this novel, this is not only paralleled by the weather, but described in a similarly dispassionate way. And so, suicide bombers took with them into the bosom of death people who had left their homes to go about their affairs, on the bus, at the railway station, in the cafe, at the entrance to the shopping mall, the entrance to the disco, in the reception hall, in the pedestrian mall, and just crossing a busy street. From ambushes on the roadsides in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, snipers shot at people sitting in passing cars and killed them. On the main streets of the big cities, booby-trapped cars set off by remote control rose into the air and stewed death and destruction around them. People who had wrapped themselves up well against the cold before leaving home and felt more or less protected were blown to pieces in nearby streets. To me, this is Castel Bloom at her best, wrong-footing the reader with subtle, jagged humor, or merely being a conduit for the subtle and jagged humor that exists in the world of her story. Usually, it was the lightly wounded who afterwards told the media what had happened. Lightly wounded. Man. By paralleling the phenomena of unending winter and suicide bombings, Castel Bloom is not only comparing these two elements, but in a way leveling them. They exist on the same planes of probable and improbable, overexplained and inexplicable. The actual, the suicide bombing, becomes as fanciful as the interminable weather and terrible floods. And the terrible winter and interminable floods, which are not real and will likely never be real, lend their unreality to the suicide bombings. In this bizarre world, which counts as the setting for this novel, Castel Bloom inserts a loosely related, extremely loosely related, cast of characters, and this is in keeping with what seems like her preference for the randomly assembled. The first character is Kati Beit Halami, a mother of many children, a wife to a seriously dissatisfied husband, and a person living in destitution. In fact, her lot is so poor that when the bad weather comes, and with it the flooding, she lucks into being a spokesperson for the downtrodden, and briefly sees a ray of light cut into her life, in the form of her many appearances on news channels and eventually talk shows. Kati was very excited by being filmed and interviewed about the difficulties of her family's life, and sometimes she cried on the air. Even though this damaged the makeup applied by professional makeup artists before she entered the studio, it didn't prevent the cameraman from taking long close-ups of her face. The payoff to all this comes when she is the subject of an in-studio sit-down interview that is broadcast nationally. Just after that, her home is inundated with donations of winter clothing. Just like in Asaf Gavron's novel, Almost Dead, subject of the last podcast, talk shows mine a rich vein of Israeli lunacy. Although now I think of it, this is probably true in most countries. 
Prior to reading these novels, I would not have associated the superficiality and frivolity of reality and talk show genres with the dire politics and violence of Israeli and Palestinian culture. But in being so over the top, they are perhaps natural conduits for the extremes of the society they represent. Less fantasy and more documentary. The next plague to descend on the country is what's called the Saudi flu, and it's how the reader is introduced to a series of other characters. The middle-aged and single Liat, her brother Adir, Adir's ex-girlfriend Iris Ventura, and Adir's new girlfriend, a Yemeni immigrant, Tassaro, all living in Tel Aviv. The plot has glanced from Kati to this group, and from now on bounces back and forth between them, with only minimal points of contact. Castel Bloom is not trying to create some kind of logical or plausible whole. The action that sets off this section is Liat dies of Saudi flu. In response, Adir organizes a funeral and shiva, a mourning period, for his sister, and becomes gradually more disillusioned as it turns out that fewer people show up for these remembrances than he had expected. In this time of crisis, Adir's girlfriend, Tassaro, who is climbing the ladder as a model, does not have the time to attend properly to him, so he hires his ex-girlfriend, Iris Ventura, to do the attending. And that's the general setup of this novel, although there are a number of Castel-Bloomian divergences along the way. A dentist with a burned face, a politician whose job it is to attend funerals, a bank manager embezzling money, and a makeup artist who brings Kati to Tel Aviv. As a reader, you don't really know how to take all these trajectories or what to make of the plot, or at least I didn't. For me, the pleasure in this novel is not in what happens or doesn't happen. It's located in Castel Bloom's mesmerizing authorial voice. She writes with the pitilessness of the self-satisfied bourgeois, looking down on all others while making her own bourgeois point of view into just another target. Everything in this story, foolish weathermen, scheming television producers, confused politicians, is passed through a dismissive filter that is, frankly, as you read it, it's, it's seductive. Even as the plot spins completely out of control, and it does, Castel Bloom's beguiling style is enough, or it has to be enough, if you're going to enjoy this book. Just as some people are appreciated for making sense of it all, in the end, I appreciate Castel Bloom for making nonsense of it all. So maybe she is a realist. Thank you for listening. Next up on this burning book season, Declaration Centenary, will be a review of the excellent novel, Natanya, a novel beyond most kinds of conventional description, and it's by Drawer Burstein. Burning Books is part of the Litopia Network of Podcasts, and you can hear back episodes, subscribe, and reach me there via the email the show button, all by going to litopia.com, spelled the way it sounds, and following the link to Burning Books. I also enjoy getting your tweets, nasty and nice. I'm at Burning Books Pod. Finally, you can reach me at facebook.com slash Eric Beck Rubin. My thanks to Natalie Matheson, Hakan Ozgan for the music, to Peter Cox, executive producer of the program, and as always, go Jays. Hey.